Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonerkebab.com. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. We're going to be looking back on what's been a brilliant weekend of not just Premier League action, but we've also had the EFL Cup Final, Carabao Cup Final, if you are of that persuasion. I'm sticking with EFL Cup, keep it nice and safe. My name's Fergal Brennan, I'm joined in the studio by Jay Motti from Full Time Devils. How are you, Jay? I'm good, mate, good. Pete Hall, independent freelance Extra special journalist. How are we, Pete? All oh, right, extra special. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. And we've also got an incredibly pleased with himself Manchester City <laughs> fan in the studio. That's Alex Hilton that you're hearing laughing down your ears. He is fresh from being crowned Carabao Cup winner. Alex, how are you? <laughs> yeah, you make it like I won it myself. Yeah. Yeah, well, it tough game out there, tough 90 minutes. Brought the medley. Me, me and the boys, uh, we, we worked on it. We got a result, yeah. No, delighted. Great working to be a blue. Uh, Liverpool United both dropping points. City lift the trophy the way it used to be. So <laughs> we're going to kick off with the EFL Cup final and then we're going to come back to the Premier League. There's been some brilliant results over the last 48 hours. We're going to be focusing on Wolves winning 3-2 against Tottenham. We're also going to be taking a look at that mad result at Vicarage Road where Watford brought Liverpool's unbeaten run to an end at 44 games. Arsenal fans will be absolutely delighted with that. Jay's probably got a few opinions on whether or not that's a relevant record, but we'll come to that in good time. So, Carabao Cup final, Manchester City, third time in a row. Alex, how does it feel that is massive. I think it, as a City fan who grew up watching us win nothing, uh, and I still remember the banner at Old Trafford, you know, how many years have we won a trophy? And um, it, it, to see us win it three times in a row, four times in five years. Um, the Carabao Cup, it isn't the biggest competition in world football, but it, it's a proper tournament, and it, it's a tournament that. Um, uh, teams take seriously even if they pretend that they don't immediately after they've been knocked out to win it uh, three times in a row four times in five years I've no idea who you could be talking about there <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean it, yeah it's a culture of winning built into the team uh, and it's uh to have a dominant streak in that, I, th- I, th- I would love to, there's so many fans do the competition down but I challenge anyone to go to Wembley and not 
not support their team and want to win it mm. and not, not have that day out. I'd much rather win it and, and have, have that in the team, the trophy in the cabinet. And after growing up with us having nothing in there, famously we had a guard dog that died um, died of exhaustion because uh, our trophy cabinet had nothing to do with it. I wonder where you're going. It's nice that we've actually got something to look after and hold a medal. And I think that it's a day out that any, play, any player will remember, whether it's the Carabao Cup or the Champions League. Players get into football because they want to play in finals uh, and to do that is delighting. Now, Adam mentioned something on the preview show on Friday about, generally speaking, Guardiola doesn't take his eye off the ball for these finals. Domestic finals, picks a strong side, normally much stronger than he's done in the previous rounds, and he doesn't let the side kind of get away from what the issue at hand is, which is getting through this 90 minutes and winning. You, you mentioned to me before we started recording that it's almost a, a thankless task for City being in this sort of a situation. Well, it's a weird one because the previous finals that we've had, we, I mean, we played uh, Chelsea last year, Liverpool a couple of years before, we've played Arsenal as well. Like, it, it, they've been generally quite big games. Whereas going into a final where you're such a heavy favourite, I don't think anyone, even Aston Villa fans that I know were saying, oh, we're going to get battered, it's going to be 4 or 5 nil." Going in with that expectation, it's almost like, a relief at the final whistle that we didn't slip up um, and absolutely no respect to Villa they were awesome today but I think it's City you want to see that level of performance that, that matches it because after what we destroyed them at Villa Park earlier in the year mm. um, you want to see that that continue and the fact that we did it there, there were a couple of players that haven't been regular starters for it Claudio Bravo put in a, a massive save towards the end of the game um, Phil Foden was, was electric for 90 minutes and probably deserved a goal it arguably had a couple of chances to do so um, and also players like Ilkay Gundogan that's been in and out in and out the squad John Stones he's been in and out had a, had a big mistake but I think that took away from the fact that he was pretty solid for 90 minutes um, it's good to see that that rotation off the back of us playing uh, against Real Madrid midweek which is an exhausting task of any team mm. um, to, to see us put another great performance in and, and credit to Villa who, who were awesome and pushed it and you can see what it meant to certain players uh, Tyro Mings especially Jack Grealish that just seemed to run and, and match City's intensity for 90 minutes um, and you could tell it was a highlight dare I say, one of the biggest moments in both of their careers. To so date. far. So far. I think there's big things ahead for both of them. But to see, uh, to win a game like that when the team you're playing up against are, are fighting for their lives on every ball, um, yeah, it shows a level, a level of class from City. And I think it shows that the City that were throwing games away earlier in the season, and we went to places like Wolves and Norwich where teams were working really hard against us and it cost us because we weren't matching those teams. We finally sorted that out. Any nerves? Second half, obviously it was quite routine, 2-0 yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they get the goal back. As much as you're in fairly strong control for the second half, were you thinking just takes a long ball, just takes a set piece and then we're extra time? Yeah, I mean when you watch Nyland put in a couple of big saves and we had corner after corner and chance after chance and none of them were going in, it, it would be, still as you say, it, vintage city for us to not to not finish the game off. Uh, and Villa looked dangerous, you know, once or twice they created big chances. Like I said, about five minutes from time, they, they, they forced a good save onto the post um, and Villa looked the team most likely to score the last five or six minutes you know anything could happen Manchester City know that from the cup final when we, we lost to Wigan uh, the big Ben Watson header no matter how heavy favourites you are anything can happen in the cup final so yeah definitely nervous and, and, and credit to Dean Smith Villa are almost certainly going down this year but you look at the start 11 they played there's probably six seven eight players there dare I say without being disrespectful to them are probably championship footballers and um, bar maybe you know Mings and Grelish um, you know Matt Target I suppose that most of that squad are second division footballers and bar two or three players of real quality the fact that he's keeping them competitive in the league and he's keeping them competitive in, in a cup final against 
one of the most well-funded teams in world football um, shows what a great job Dean Smith's doing there and they, they, they seem to run entirely on motivation as well which, which is always nice to see Now Pete, Jay I know you're going to be dying to talk about Manchester City's success Pete I'll mm. go to you first on this I'm not going to get you to bask in City's uh, <laughs> success from this afternoon but looking forward Guardiola has, has pretty much said the title's gone Liverpool have sorted it mm-hmm. given this performance today given the fact that they very much got the job done made a few changes but they were still quite comfortable excellent performance against Real Madrid last week in the Champions League they're now favourites to go through to the next round although Guardiola won't admit that which is fair enough do you think they look in really good shape to go and win those three trophies that they are in a position to go and do so yeah they've, they've, they've got to be one of the favourites to win the Champions League after what they did in the Bernabeu um, but Laporte is, is is the big miss, you know. Without him at home, even though you've got that that cushion, you've you've got the the two away goals, is going to be is going to be huge. You know, the, Real Madrid are more than capable of scoring three goals um, against a Laporte-less Man City. So there's still a lot of work to be done there. But you look at you look around and you look at um, the competition that they've got um, to win it. I, I th- they're quite like, rightly one of the favourites. And the other thing is, you mentioned you mentioned it before, is that Guardiola just doesn't let up on these competitions. I mean, for all for all the praise he gets for his tactical nous and, and and the football that he plays, to have the hunger to keep winning, wanting to win domestic trophies that everyone keeps yep. telling him, and he said it a few times that aren't quite as revered as they once were, is is incredible. Like how how do you keep doing that, and how do you keep motivating your team to keep doing that? So. Yes, I mean you've seen how much he wanted to win this competition, three titles in a row. He's not going to let up in the FA Cup either. So easily could win two domestic titles and a really good chance of winning the Champions League, and that's a pretty damn successful season. Jay, Pete's right on that. That Laporte's going to be the big talking point in terms of who he's who will be replaced by, how Guardiola's going to look to set up against Madrid and in the rest of the season. If you're looking at the performance today, John Stones has come in. He's gone through 90 minutes. As Alex said, he, he made a mistake and, he, and we all know he does have a mistake or two in him inside uh, 90 minutes or, or even longer if he has to maintain his concentration levels. If you're Guardiola looking at that Madrid game, who do you go with at centre-back with Laporte being out? And, and obviously the leadership that he brings and the kind of front foot first defending that he goes for, who's the most natural replacement? And do you think that's going to be maybe the undoing of City against against Madrid? Well, he's gone with is it Fern- he goes with a sort of partnership of obviously today Fernandinho and, and John Stones, and I think that is you know it's not perfect, but it's decent. Um, the thing with City is they've got so many options. Other, I know that people keep going on about this problem when the Porter's out and and how they struggled and how you know Pete's rightly pointed out Real Madrid can always get a goal, but you look at the quality that City have got, especially that front sort of five or six it's ridiculous I mean I'm just looking at here you know you talk about showing the, the Carabao Cup respect and having a strong team off the bench he's brought on De Bruyne Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus I mean that's <laughs> ridiculous mm. you know Mares didn't even get a kick <laughs> and yet that is you know he has set up a strong City team as well so yes defensively he might have a bit of a concern but I still think they've got enough firepower there to just blow Real Madrid out of the water especially at home and I think if City went for it and got at Real Madrid he won't have Ramos as well because I believe he's suspended then you know yes they might concede a goal but they could probably score five so I wouldn't be overly concerned about the Real Madrid game um, going into it without Laporte because I think if they had say Stones and Fernandinho or even Otamende and Fernandinho as their um, centre-back pairing I think when you've got the likes of Sterling De Bruyne Aguero or Jesus Silva 
you, you don't need to worry too much about the fact that you've got your second choice centre back. What does this do to Villa in terms of the rest of their season? Dean Smith was quite clear in his uh, press conference before the game of saying, forget about the relegation battle for one weekend at least. Mm. This is a cup final. They don't come around very often. As as Alex mentions, a number of young players, a number of players that will more than likely be back in the championship next season, either with Villa or with another club. Does this have a positive effect? Do you think it will galvanise them for the rest of the season? Or looking at Grealish on the floor after the game, Tyrone Ming's very upset. Do you think the writing could be even more on the wall for them? Well, as Alex said at the start, I mean, everyone expected them to get absolutely battered. You, you know, you look back to that the Watford uh, FA Cup final um, when they got absolutely battered by City and you expected the same. Um, and, and to come so close can almost take more out of them um, physically and emotionally. And you, you looked at Grealish, you know, obviously all the cameras panned to Grealish at the end and you could see what, what it had taken out of it. And, with the, th- the other thing is, is, is this weekend a lot of teams, other teams down the bottom, have got some big results, which won't have gone unnoticed. So, yes, they can say, "Oh, yeah, we're not really, cons- you know, we're not really thinking about the relegation battle at the moment." But you can't, you can't get away from it when you're down there, especially when your rivals are winning. So, they'll be, they'll be straight back on it. They'll have, they'll have one night off. I think they, I think they've got Leicester next. Am I, am I right? And and in the league, yeah, in the league. Um, and they, they're apparently going to stay down in London to prepare for that and so they prepare properly. Um. So it's, it's it's always going to be on the mind, regardless of what they say. There's very much Dean Smith just trying to take the pressure off his players. But it's 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 when you're when you're 19th and you're in the relegation zone and you're, and everyone else seems to be winning around you. Then uh, what I will say for Villa though is that Villa have scored more goals in the League Cup this season than any other team. Right. So what Villa have done is they're taking it seriously, despite the fact they're in a relegation battle. And I think it's a lesson for so many other clubs yeah. in the league. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not I'm fortunate to know a few Villa fans. I know someone who's taken their kids to Wembley for the first time now. The way it's looking for Villa the next sort of 10 years, if they go down or if they stay up, Villa probably won't reach another cup final for a little while. Mm. To have that in the, in the bank, to have that memory of going to a cup final, mm. that might be the only cup final Villa reach from the 50 years. And his kids yeah. will have that. And I think, and equally, there's players on the pitch there. There's players on the pitch that might not play in a cup final ever again. And when you look back at their career, players don't go, oh, the greatest year of my career was when we finished 17th in the league mm. and we had those five extra draws. They say the best moment of my career was playing at Wembley. You know, like, yeah. you, you look at the lad, Samatha who's Scored, scored for um, who's come out of the Belgian league and all of a sudden he scored at Wembley in front of 85,000 people what a six months he's had there mm. well two months he's been there you know those are moments that players cherish and I bet if you asked all the players that say clubs like uh, Bournemouth Palace you know these sort of teams that are around the same area but don't really take the cup competition seriously and it is all about staying in the Premier League if you ask those players in the dressing room you go actually would you like to play every single game in the Carabao Cup this season and have a real crack at getting to Wembley I think the answer from those players and a lot of the supporters would be yeah let's go for it I think it's even worse when it's clubs in mid-table and then the managers make 10 changes it's like well why? <laughs> if you if if you you're already performing at your at the level you're supposed to be, you're not really in relegation trouble. Go for go for yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I never. I never. Really uh, I, I, I mean, I understand. I said it's very much from the privilege of a Manchester City fan where we've got 25 players and we can put 11 great players out on a Wednesday and 11 players on a Saturday. I understand that, and you know, Bournemouth have only got about four players, so they can't do that. <laughs> but I, I do. I do think like between. I know. I know as well. There's the, the prize money for finishing 12th is better than the prize money for finishing 16th. But surely, surely there's also there's like television revenue and surely there's advertising revenue and having your shirt in a cup final broadcast around the world and all that Mm. sort of stuff there's got to be value to it and it is the downside of the sport that that, that surely 
I mean, it's sport. It's about finding out who's the best, who's the winning. You want to see teams go for it. Yeah. And I do think it's unambitious. That, I mean, Liverpool obviously putting kids out because they were playing the next day in Qatar. I can't believe the organisers of the Carabao Cup allowed that to happen because it devalues it. Of course, they were going to pick the Club World Cup over the Carabao Cup. Of course, they were. But you look even in the FA Cup. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side were, what, 20 points clear at the time or something, a million points in front. And they weren't interested in even trying for the double. And they put out the absolute reserves in the FA Cup. I see that to be unambitious. Some people say that to be wise, but personally, I think I'm, I'd much rather have Pep Guardiola that wants to win every single game than a manager that is just going for one trophy and one trophy only. I don't know, that seems. I get where you're coming from, but I think, like, I speak to Birmingham fans and Portsmouth fans who've won trophies, you know, they've won the Carabao Cup, they've won the FA Cup, and that's the greatest season they've ever had, but then they've got relegated, and there's, there's been times when the club's actually been under pressure that it could go into administration, it's gone into administration in both those cases, I think, or at least one of them, and they've struggled and had points deductions. So it is such fine margins for some teams where it's like, yeah, we put all our eggs in this basket in the cup, and we might get to Wembley, we might have this great cup run, but if we get relegated, we could be in, like, our future could be in trouble. So sort of get it why certain clubs... Yeah, I'm with you on the Klopp thing. I think that's ridiculous because he's got enough resources. But if you are sort of a Newcastle or a, a Watford or a, a Wolves, I get it. If, not Wolves, sorry, they're doing quite well. But if you're one of those teams, a Bournemouth, whatever, I can understand why you have to say, right, we've just got to stay up. That's, that's, that's it. Because... You know, sometimes we've seen it before with, with clubs just, you know, even Leeds did it. They put all their eggs in the Champions League basket, didn't make it into the Champions mm. League. And a club the size of Leeds almost went under. Yeah, right. Well, we're going to move on to the Premier League from the uh, from the joys of the EFL Cup final win for Manchester City. Safe to say that Carabao energy drink will be flowing in Manchester <laughs> for the next few days. There'll be kids who won't be going to bed for about a fortnight uh, <laughs> if the celebrations are to go the way that we might think they will. Uh, Premier League. Obviously, yesterday there was an enormous result at Vicarage Road. We're going to get to that after the break. But today, 3-2 Wolves away at Tottenham is absolutely massive in in the context of not just the push for Europe, but in terms of the directions that the two clubs are moving in between now and the end of the season, potentially as as it stands. 2-1 down at half-time. Wolves fans might have been looking at this and going... Just as they did earlier in the season where Mourinho Mourinho'd them, got two late goals, one in with about two minutes to go from a defender. Mm. They could have been looking at this and going, oh, this is happening again. But they didn't. Santo changed the system second half and the same players that are consistently clicking for him, Jota, Jimenez, Doherty, came good for him. 3-2 against a rival. And now they've leapfrogged Tottenham in that race for, for the top four. They're a point outside the top four. They're only behind Man United in fifth on goal difference. Mm. This is fantastic stuff. How big a result is that, Pete, for them to go to to, to Tottenham and win 3-2? Huge. And what they've been doing all season is debunking that um, theory that once you play in the Europa League, that means you're going to lose on, on the weekend. And no matter where they've been, time and again, they've come back from European matches and they keep they keep winning and it's they they are very much they have a, a small squad he doesn't rotate much he knows his he knows his system he knows his best players um and and it works it it just works and they've they've they've, they've spent a lot of money on that squad like you know let's not let's not so yeah but they've spent well and but in the context of the sides around them, they haven't spent as no, much. No, now, now, because now they're up, now they're up at the in the, in the, the fighting for European football uh, again. Um, they're yeah, exactly. They've they've not yeah. If you put it that way, they've not really spent much. But that's huge. And 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 that game uh, at Molyneux, they uh, Spurs got out of jail because Wolves battered them. Yeah. Um, so it's not. This isn't a fluke. This isn't a fluke result. Like Wolves should have uh, should have beaten Spurs at Molyneux. 
and that's 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 huge in for Spurs as well. Like to lose that at home, having taken the lead twice, um, is 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 bad news. And you know what Josie will say? It's, it's you know they've got no strikers and all that kind of thing. But it was it was his decision to leave Toby Alderweireld out, and he's been really good for them recently. And it backfired, and they, they were to be beaten at home by anyone and concede three goals is is not good enough. But we all know, as you say, the the line of argument that he's going to go down. But there's not really much you can say in terms of they were beaten by the better team, particularly in the last half hour. Jay, when you look at the attack that Wolves have got, Jota and Jimenez are getting a huge amount of attention in the last few weeks, and, and rightly so. Eight goals in their last four games that they've played together in terms of linking up with each other, creating chances and, and finish off each other's assists. For me, is there a better attacking unit outside Liverpool and City at the minute than them? When you look at the issues that United have had in terms of scoring goals, Chelsea, when Abraham's not fit, they don't seem to be able to click into gear. Would they be the best outside of Liverpool and City? Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. I think it's fair to say Leicester are a bit of a one-man team out in terms of attack with, with Vardy and Chelsea, as you mentioned, have had issues. United have had injury problems all over the place. And Wolves are a sort of a unit. They work together and those two in particular do work well together. It just amazes me sort of how far and how quickly Jose has fallen because, you know, at least it... At United, you had a little, you had like two seasons of okayness out of him, but it just seems to be getting smaller and smaller the, the length of time it takes for him to start falling out of everyone and to start imploding. I mean, Jose used to be famous for his his home record. You know, he, he turned every club he went to into a, a home fortress. He did it at Porto, did it at Chelsea, mm. did it at Inter. Didn't quite do that at United, but had a fairly decent record at home. Um, and at Spurs, he's just you know today or uh, just after the game, he's saying moaning the players are too nice. So yes, you've got to give Wolves credit and. As you mentioned, likes of um, Jimenez and Yotta, you don't like to face them. We've played Wolves about twelve times this season, and every time you face them, you think, "Oh, this is going to be a difficult game." And they always do cause you problems, and they, they do play attractive football as well. To be fair to them, but on the, on the flip side, just looking at, at Spurs and what's going on there, it, it's just surprised me because I actually thought Spurs might get at least sort of six or seven months out of, of the old Jose before it all started going pear shapes, and it seems like they had six or seven games before it did. The, the thing that um, talking about Wolves that you've got to um, look at is that if Raul Jimenez does get injured, there isn't there isn't much to come in in place of him. So we no. we, we say we say about we say about Leicester and the fact that without Jamie, Jamie Vardy and the team, they're not the same team. But if if Wolves lose Jimenez or Jota, they they haven't got. They haven't got anyone else. Or even to have a dip in form. Yeah. They're only human. You can't really play it every week. I think also you've got to admire like, the balls of Nuno Santo. So, despite the fact their squad is um, as trim as it is to loan players out yeah. in January yeah, as well. Yeah. To be like, yeah, we've already got... It's almost cheeky just yeah. to say, nah, we have, nah we're and there's, there's also like, players in their senior squad that haven't played this season as well. They, I think they haven't physically got another striker. Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah. Haven't, they haven't got another out and... Uh, uh, he's more of a wide player but you haven't you haven't got another forward who can play down the middle at all in the squad who's played a game this season for Wolves so yeah alright in the Europa League when he has rested Raul Jimenez he has played Neto down the middle or, or, or even I don't know Traore down the middle but <laughs> What if the, yeah, like you, like Alex says, like it's not it isn't just an injury. What if what if Jimenez loses his form towards the end of the season? But but, but also that's the I mean Leicester, Leicester won the league with, with, with a sort of similar size squad, and I think it shows that, that the consequence of that is you do get that Mourinho style siege mentality of players there that they build up a familiarity with each other really really quickly. Um, they've got one of the best sort of rhythms that you know Wolves they seem to have gelled so well. There's players there that will run the knackers off for each other. Mm. Um, they, they 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 have a great it's such a cliche, but they have such like a togetherness about. 
about them. You know, they, have, they have that. <laughs> Where's that bell? That, yeah, they, you know, they, they, seem, they seem to have that kind of mentality. You were lucky there. Yeah, I yeah. found it now. You found it. <laughs> Don't let me catch you doing but, that again. You know, <laughs> it, it means if you put all your eggs in one basket, then fine, because maybe that basket will come good. Is that how that expression finishes? <laughs> <laughs> you tripped yourself over. You were, like, you were so, in a basket. What is that? A basket will come good. <laughs> like, you were just so frightened of the bell. You need right. to give you two bell rings for that one. Yeah. It's late on a Sunday night. I've not slept all weekend. Like, <laughs> not too much caravan. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's caravan yeah. I'm, I'm crushing. I'm crushing. This is actually going to be an intervention, Alex. We're all yeah. very worried about you. You've been hitting the carabao too hard and you need to take <laughs> it easy. The come down from carabao is something, isn't it? Something else. Isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> to, to, to rephrase it, to rephrase it, the, the popular quiz show, the million pound drop, you know, you, you get slagged off for putting all your money in one box. But if it's the right box, then you were right all along. And Nuno Santo, he might have got a trim squad, but if that works for him and they're finishing in Europe this year and they look pretty good value in the Europa League as well then good on Nuno Santo <laughs> Alex Hilton just just for the record he writes best man speeches he does all sorts if you need him you can follow him on Twitter he does a fine service thanks everyone before we go to the break before we go to the break I've just checked something here in terms of uh, Wolves' fixtures coming up between now and the end of the season they only play one team that's above them in the in the final eleven games, and that's Chelsea on the final day of the season, which could actually be a top four playoff. When you look at United's running, you look at Spurs's running, and Chelsea's running, and the the issues they're having in terms of getting things together. There's no pressure on Wolves if they get top seven, just like they did last season. That's an enormous achievement. With that handbrake off, they can just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. Do you think that can help them? Do you think it might go the other way? We could be talking in a month that they could have racked up enough points to have seen off certain sides and it might be a two-horse race instead of a four- or five-horse race. Well, yeah, I mean, they've definitely got the momentum, haven't they? Um, you know, they, sort of, there's a lot of positivity around Wolves. It was amazing because at the beginning of the season, I was speaking to a couple of Wolves fans who were actually questioning, you know, mm. like, you know he's... he's sort of a bit set in his ways he, he, you know second season syndrome in the Premier League and didn't know if he was cut out for it and since then as you mentioned earlier in terms of the, the, the Europa I mean I've taught United fingers so about sort of playing on a Thursday yeah. and a Sunday they, like you say they always seem to pick up maximum points after they've been on a, a tricky away so I, I don't really think Wolves have anything to fear I think they can go for it in, on all fronts yes they do have a smaller squad and we saw it they, you know they've got a good record against the Wolves and the only time they really struggled is when he, he had to make changes in the cup mm. and we actually knocked some out cup because once they make one or two changes as you mentioned there especially up front they do struggle and it does upset that rhythm that, that Alex was alluding to but I, yeah I, I think I'm just sort of you keep waiting as a United fan waiting for Wolves to sort of drop off but it's just not happening and that result again today going back to it against Spurs just shows what they're capable of and if I was a Wolves fan I'd be pretty confident because you look at those fixtures and yes okay they've got Chelsea on the last game of the day of the season but there's a lot could of be decided win- by then yeah exactly mm. and there's a lot of winnable games there you know you talk about Villa Bournemouth Arsenal at home Sheffield United away is a tricky one but I mean yeah I'd be, I'd be pre- feeling pretty confident now if I was a Wolves fan that they can do it in the league and also you know you're in the last 16 in the Europa it's up for grabs anyone can win that so yeah definitely also, a massive shout out to some of the players they have got there. They're performing weekend without Matt the Punisher Doherty, uh, seven goals from fullback this season. He is an absolute budget. Irish Cafu. <laughs> Irish Cafu. He's a budget Trent Alexander Arnold, and like certain Manchester City have had issues at. Uh, at fullback. Hang on, the, the what? Way, the way that he's been the last season, I would love to have Matt Doherty at City. He seems complete. He can actually put a tackle in, which makes him better than any of our defenders already. And equally, he gets goals <laughs> going forward. And I think a player that has developed under Nuno uh, and goes on the wing. Everyone talks about uh, Ruben Neves and Raul Jimenez, but he's an absolute machine. Get up and down. His record, I haven't got it in front of me, but he's got an amazing stats for 
like passing and the chances creating all sorts. He is one of the most underrated players in the league, Matt Doherty, or perhaps underappreciated. And also, why is Connor Cody not in the England squad? The Connor Cody is captain of Wolves. He plays every single week. He's English. Everyone talks, but like James Tarkovsky is getting in there, but he's some mistakes in him. John Stones will get in there, pure reputation, but has been in and out of the Manchester City team. And whilst I was talking about earlier in the show, and he was solid today, despite his big mistake, he's always got a mistake in him, John Stones. Whereas Connor Cody seems to get on with it week in, week out. But he's playing for an unfashionable club and he's not getting the credit or the call up he deserves. Well, there you go, Southgate, if you're listening. Cody for England. Cody for England. You've got, you got a firm fan in the studio here. Right, after the break, we are going to be looking back at Watford's magic win over Liverpool. Jay and Pete are going to be giving us their views on their lifetime of support in Watford Football Club. And <laughs> Alex is going to give us a crack uh, at his version of the English language. He's going to give us some more sayings, <laughs> lots of things for you to be looking forward to after the break. Join us in a minute. Football Social Daily with German gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces. Sports Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Now, before we get into the action, just a quick reminder, if you're listening to the podcast now and you're liking what you're listening to, click subscribe and every day you'll get yourself a fresh Premier League podcast. Every single day. You can't go wrong. Absolute bargain. Right. Premier League, Liverpool title nailed on, but they're no longer unbeaten. 44 and out an absolute shock we were chatting before we started recording and we said that this is the shock result of the season nobody saw this coming I remember being in here on Friday night Adam Jay we, I think we, I think we spent about a minute talking about this game because we just assumed it's just another box for Liverpool to tick mm-hmm. however Nigel Pearson obviously listened to the show avid fan that he is and thought I'm not having that we're going to go and beat Liverpool 3-0 Pete go to you on this first yeah there's talk of Liverpool being a bit rattled from that Atletico Madrid result but you'd have still expected them to get enough and make it three wins until they win the title. This was an unbelievable performance from Watford, but it was also pretty poor from Liverpool. Didn't Liverpool have a similar wobble around this time last season? Maybe maybe there's hope yet for everyone else? No. Um, <laughs> it, that is optimism. Yeah, it's, there, it's so hard to sort of analyse this, isn't it? Because there was, there was no one in the world that could have said that this all is coming. And it does beg the question, like... He looked at Watford's performance and and how the the front two just battered that Liverpool back line and and how well organised they were at the back. And you think why haven't more, why haven't more teams got you know got this close or given Liverpool more of a goal than they have? Um, it shows how big an influence John Henderson is for for a start uh, in that. Um, and also Joe Gomez this season um, since he came back into the team has been absolutely phenomenal. And without him, in, alongside Virgil van Dijk, obviously Dejan Lundgren gets a lot of stick and he's a very easy target. But I think it's more without Joe Gomez than the fact that it's Dejan Lundgren alongside him. But no, no one saw that coming. Ismail Asar has been rubbish this season. <laughs> and you did not think he had one goal in, in him, never mind two. The finish for the second was absolutely superb. And it could have been more. That was the other thing yeah. about it. Like it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't like it was a, a, a free, a, you know, a, a surprise result. It, it was they were they battered absolutely battered Liverpool. Um, but yes, Liverpool just they were arguing wrong themselves. And it was if this had come earlier in the season, then it, you know who knows what might have happened afterwards. But um, they can very much sit back and relax and know that now they don't they're not chasing this record. They're, 
they can win the league at, at canter without having to worry. But they did want that. They did want this record, of course. Yeah. Um, and as, as Arsenal fans will 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 tell you, it's you know you can hang you can hang your hat on it for a long long time. Um, but that it's absolutely remarkable and. There is absolutely no no way that you looked at it looked like Watford Watford had been okay since Nigel Pearson took over. They had that new manager bounce and then they sort of fell away. Absolutely no way anyone could have seen it. They were eight to one to win at home. Which is insane. Yeah. Um, for another Premier League side. Yeah. At, at home. Um yeah, absolutely incredible and thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. Jay, one of the things that Pete touched on there was the players that were missing. Obviously Henderson, James Milner are both injured at the minute. Joe Gomez was was rested. Dan Lovren came in for his kind of monthly appearance that Jurgen Klopp lets him out for uh, he might be thinking against that for the next few games um, one thing that I found quite interesting was the way that Watford set up against Virgil van Dijk with Troy Deeney now van Dijk is, is excellent he's the best Premier League defender but Deeney played this very very simple where he kind of stood a yard in front of him and any time a long ball came forward he just blocked van Dijk and van Dijk was getting more and more frustrated as the game went on because Deeney wasn't jumping with him but he was stopping him from getting a natural jump and it's not something we really see from Van Dijk that much him kind of losing his cool but he was getting annoyed he was shouting at Lovren he was shouting at the midfielders in front of him and Pete is right that teams will look at that Atletico Madrid will be looking at that the rest of the teams that are going to play them this season will look at that and go not necessarily you can do that every game but there is a way to disrupt Liverpool and if you can be efficient and you can keep the back door shut you can get points off them well, I think if you've watched the game and saw the reaction from um, the post-match interview with Dean, he actually said he targeted Lovren and got Lovren into a fight with him. He said he sort of was standing on him and Lovren was... He saw for the, I think it was the first goal where Lovren like, had his arms around him. But he said he didn't mind that. He wanted that. And he said he brought out the fight in Lovren and made it into a bit of a scrap. And he rolled him a couple of times, I think, for setting up the the, the second goal. So he sort of bought into what they wanted to do. And if you if if target Lovren, then obviously it's an easier day at the office than Van Dyke. But I think... You can't take anything away from Watford as well. And I, I disagree a little bit with Pete. I think Sarr is a good player. And I think under Pearson, he's, until he got injured, I thought he was playing really well. I don't know about before then, but I think he scored a few goals and got a few assists. And obviously, I don't think anyone expected him, expected him to get a brace against Liverpool. But yeah, teams will look at this and they'll target him. And Liverpool are missing players. But for a team that's 22 points clear, you should be able to miss a Jordan Henderson or a... Gomez or even Matip or whoever, you know, they've not they're not missing that many players, and it's a bit of a surprise that Henderson, who's sort of been linked to or been um, favourite to win the PFA Player of the Year, I actually think was like was I thought was average. It's such a big miss for them. I don't know whether it is maybe that leadership. You talk about players arguing with each other. Maybe you do need just that voice on the pitch who's going to calm everyone down and and sort of sort out all this sort of arguing and and show that leadership because. Yeah, it was it was really surprising to see them sort of implode the way they did, and it has been coming a little bit as well because I watched them a few weeks or a week ago against West Ham at home, and they weren't great. West Ham are pretty average, and yet West Ham caused them all sorts of problems. And Liverpool have always had this ability to just get the last minute goals, get dig deep, have that little bit of class, Salah or Mane or whatever. They seem to mix it up. One of those three, the front three, will produce a little bit of magic even when they're not playing well and get them that goal. But they just left it too little, too late because before they knew it there were two goals down and obviously the third um, the, the front three never really got going as well it was it was a pretty poor performance I felt from from Liverpool's attack um, attacking wise and not much better defensively so yeah Athletic will look at that you know Simeone always does his own work and he'll say right you know get on Lovren if you, if you sort of stand off Van Dijk and make it difficult for him then, then maybe there's a chance but it's really weird because 
in many ways, I think this does Liverpool a little bit of a favour, and I'm not being all scouser, obviously, but the fact that the unbeaten record's gone now, they are going to win the league. They, they can look at the, the Champions League and put as much focus as, as, as they need to, because I think it has it had this thing been about we can win the league and stay unbeaten, then maybe there would have been a little bit more attention to it, and now they can sort of say, right, OK, the league's done, we can do the double here, we can win you know the two big ones, so... Yeah, maybe look at it a little bit differently, but it was it was a you know nothing to take anything away from Watford. Like I said earlier, I thought Troy Deeney was fantastic, the way he sort of leads that team. Watford came to Old Trafford and I thought they were okay. I wasn't impressed with him only what a week ago, but this was a, like a completely different team, and it's just a shame for him that they lost Delafeu as well because he was he was good at Old Trafford. He was their best player. He was he was excellent until he went off. And I, I don't know, I think there's a the talk of it being knee ligaments or something, it could be quite serious. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, so they will miss him, but if Sar steps up like he did um, on Saturday, then they should be fine, I think they'll be safe. Uh, Alex, before we move on, I just want to ask you, Pete mentioned it before there, the new manager bounced when Pearson came in, and they've actually got a, a perfect match. His first five games, they were unbeaten, and prior to yesterday's win, they haven't won in five. So it's a nice little line down the middle. Is there a bit of an argument to say they had the new manager bounce, but they need a second bounce because they're not really good enough to maintain that over 15 games. They need it for the last 10 games. So do you think this game is going to inject a bit into them or given their form prior to the win yesterday, would you be a bit worried about the direction they're heading in? Yeah, I mean, mean, uh, Watford, they're right in that mix. I mean, they are out out the uh, the relegation on on goal difference. So anything can happen. And down there, it is so tight at the minute. There's five or six teams who could stay up or go down. Um, Pearson, you bring him in for a team talk, don't you? That's what he's there for. He's never been known as a master tactician. He's not necessarily great in the transfer market. What what he is good at is getting players to work hard. I mean, the Leicester City great escape season a few years back, um, you've got to give him credit for that. Uh, you know, and don't be an ostrich piercing. Make the absolute most of it. You, you, the atmosphere on that in that dressing room must be electric at the minute after they've battered Liverpool uh, in such such a way that they did. So make the most of it. Make, make sure in training that they, they they match that performance next week uh, and the week after the week after, and make sure they stay up. Um, there. I say that Watford have got some real quality in that team. Mm-hmm. Delafeu will be a big mix, but there are you know, there's players like Tom Cleverley in there that, on paper, has been a Premier League player for seven or eight seasons now. Mm-hmm. Should be too good to go down. There's four or five players in that squad. Um, we had this conversation on the show a few weeks ago, so I won't repeat myself. But there's four or five players in that squad really that should be top ten at top ten clubs, and I include Troy Deeney in that. So if they can motivate themselves, get themselves in the right headspace, they should be able to replicate that form there when Pearson came in. And Pearson's done a good job there. They were six points adrift when he took over. They are now out of the relegation zone. Um, he is so far doing the job that he was brought in to do. And, and to quickly go back to Liverpool as well, I think I love sticking the needle into Liverpool. How good was Twitter? How good was Twitter this weekend with mm. Liverpool fans <laughs> on it, mate? That was awesome. What a nice leave it was. But they did also batter Watford. They had 71% of the ball, and I think after they've been beaten by Madrid I think a lot of the players when they are 22 points in front a lot of the Liverpool players will be still thinking about that they've got Chelsea midweek I think it's one of those games for me where 71% of the ball they did create a few chances it never seemed to click for them you will have those games in a season no matter how good you are uh, Manchester United in, in that treble winning season did have two or three games where, where, where they lost Manchester City even last year had two or three games where they looked very average I think Liverpool have been so good this year, they deserve a day off. And they took it at Watford away and generously gave Pearson the points that he needed. So so I don't think we should be too harsh on him because I reckon they're going to batter Chelsea between. Fair enough. That's an yeah. in- interesting take on that one. Um, we're going to go back to the other game today, which was Everton-Manchester United. Now, Pete, you've been out and about. You enjoy a nice Sunday game. You've been covering this at Goodison Park today. 
the big takeaway for me in this is it was pretty much a resetting. One all doesn't really do either team any sort of favours. Who does this damage more? Now, you look at Everton's situation. Points-wise, they're not that far off pushing for Europa. They're in 11th on 37 points. But there's a big group of teams in between them and where they want to be, which is European football. Mm. And as for United, who will have an eye on the top four with Chelsea having issues, they will they look at this as two points dropped? Who, who, Which manager at the end of the game will be saying, we should have won this? Um, I think it's a good result for both. Um, United were really good in the first half. Everton were really good in the second half. Um, the if you look at Everton's league position, yeah, you think well, they look at you, that's not where they should be. Should be, but they've turned the corner under Ancelotti. They're unbeaten at home since he t- since he took over, um, and they've and they've scored in every game that he's that he's taken charge of. And the games that they've lost, they've lost narrowly. So they've. They are. They've certainly turned the corner, and their their league position will get better because they they they're now a much better team than they were under Marco Silva. Um, for United, it's a year on since they got absolutely since United got absolutely mullered four nil, which Solskjaer said uh, before the game was his the worst moment of his of his uh, United managerial career, um, and United showed after absolutely horrific. Uh, David De Gea error, another one um, I might say. Um, United like were were really good and kept coming and coming and coming. Got a deserved equaliser. Bruno Fernandez, three and three for him. Different class compared to everyone else in in, in that squad, really already, um, which kind of says more about the rest than Bruno Fernandez himself. Um, and a draw was a fair result, even though United got maybe got away with it with a VAR at the end. I think a correct decision, but Everton fans might not uh, agree. But a, a good point um, and keeps United unbeaten in, in eight games in all competitions. Jay, Pete's mentioned him there, David De Gea. He's having a bit of an issue this season in terms of mistakes. Uh, and, and there does seem to be something affecting him. His concentration seems to be gone. And the mistake that he made for the goal today was absolutely typical of what seems to be happening to him this season. He had three, four chances to clear that ball. And he just seemed to wait and wait and wait. And there's actually a shout from Ancelotti to Calvert-Lewin to say, go and close him down. He's, he's essentially going to bottle this. Now, another mistake... Another couple of points potentially dropped, as, as Pete mentioned. These calls for Dean Henderson are going to grow, and these calls for De Gea's position to be questioned are going to grow. What do you think the issue is? Do you think it's rectifiable, or do you think his do you think his head has has gone? It's weird because we, I think you were talking about this a few weeks ago. I said that since Spurs away last season, he's not when he was absolutely outstanding and did save after save. He's not been the same, and it's not just commanding his area which has obviously been a problem for him or his distribution which has been a bit of an issue but even simple saves like you know we've seen it so many times towards the back end of last season and this season we saw it at the Emirates we saw it against Chelsea at home we saw it against City this season we saw it against Barcelona as well when he let the Messi shot go underneath him this season we saw it at Watford we saw it against Palace we've seen it um, today at Everton and yeah, it's it's really strange. And I think United are in a bit of a... They've done the typical United thing as well as if we've given him a new deal, which is massive. I think he's the highest paid goalkeeper in the history of world football. So, you know, does that mean he has to start? Does that mean you can't drop him? Because I don't think Romero's that far off him, if I'm being honest. I don't think Romero is as good a shot stopper as David De Gea, but I think he commands his area a lot better. And I think his distribution is slightly better as well. And then you mentioned Dean Henderson, who's having a great season at Sheffield United. It'd be the ironies of all ironies if uh, Sheffield yeah. United make the Champions League thanks to him and we end up not making it. So 
David De Gea's sort of position it isn't completely secure, but I don't know. I just think it's difficult for him, for for Oli to drop him, and I don't know if Oli would make that make that decision as well. I don't know if he'd do that. Um, but in terms of what is causing this, it's difficult to say. He's always been linked with a move away, David. Hay. He's always sort of had this thing of always oh, going to go, and we had the old broken fax machine and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And now it looks like you know he's put pen to paper, he's settled, he's going to stay, and his form's just gone out the window. So I don't know. I, I just I can't put my finger on it. I think maybe he's not completely happy at Manchester United but he hasn't really got other options and one thing that strikes me with De Gea as well is I've always thought United suited him because when he's played for Spain he's had some problems he's had you know, his form hasn't been great for Spain especially in the World Cup he got a load of stick um, and I think there's slightly less pressure on him at United than he would would get in Spain if he went to Real Madrid or Barcelona or whatever and I think that might suit him but at the minute his, his form has gone to pot and it, it, it sort of reverberates through the team a lot as well especially in the season mm. you, I, we look so nervy Lindelof is, him and Lindelof together it's a terrible combination De Gea and Lindelof they look both sort of feed each other's nerves so whatever's causing the problem they need to, we need to fix it we need to fix it soon because you know we did get away with it a little bit today and we, we can't afford to have David De Gea not playing well not playing as well as he can do because you know we're, we're what three points off the top Top four, and we, top four, yeah, yeah, as it stands. You know, we, we need to get into Champions League. You could argue that the thing last season is David De Gea almost gave us a chance of Champions League football when we got that win against Spurs away, as I mentioned. Thanks to him, it was like, oh, you know what, we can do this. We can get into the mm-hmm. top four. But then he was one of the reasons we didn't. I mean, you know, the game at home against Chelsea was our last chance, and he, he spills it again and, and lets them back in it. So he needs to fix it. He needs to fix it quick. And I don't think Ollie would, but I wouldn't be against the idea of giving Romero a chance. I really wouldn't. Okay, that's Sunday wrapped up. Saturday, there's still four games uh, to talk about. Nerves jangling for Chelsea. One Premier League win in the last five games. Took a late, late goal from Marcus Alonso to get a draw at Bournemouth. They're having problems, Alex. They really, really are. As as Jay mentioned, United are getting a bit of momentum together. Wolves, obviously, as we talked about in the first half, are, are coming on like a train. That, they are struggling there's, there's issues in terms of scoring goals obviously Abraham was injured then he came back then he got injured again Olivier Giroud was excellent against Tottenham last weekend but was pretty poor yesterday there is problems for Chelsea and they're losing they're losing their nerve and they're losing their form right at the wrong moment yeah I mean I mean, there's so much room in the, in the Premier League table at the minute for, for a team to I mean, we talked about Wolves to a certain extent if Spurs turn it around if United turn their form around uh, there's so much room for someone towards the end of the season to get a run together and overtake Chelsea quite easily and there are there are three or four teams behind them less than five points behind them that are very capable of doing that um, you know credit to Lampard he's got the young players in that team we talk about on this show all the time uh, how well Tammy Abraham's doing how well Mason Mountain's doing in Tamori and James and so on and he hasn't got the squad that other teams around him have but ultimately it's results business and if they are serious about finishing in the Champions League um, he's got to cut this poor reform quick uh, and maybe it's the inexperience on the side that they can't kill teams like Bournemouth off um, no disrespect to Bournemouth but ultimately they're a mid-table team and that's your bread and butter in the Premier League you're going to be coming against mid-table teams most weeks uh, and if you go ahead um, you've got to stay ahead yeah, I suppose the positive spin on it is that they went behind and he got them back in it um, but ultimately you've got to be able to motivate your team and as a manager see mm. games out that, that is what makes a manager for me how your game management week in week out and if, if he can't do that Lampard um, Abramovich is ruthless enough that his job will be questioned I think I don't think this season he needs to worry too much if something disaster happens and they finish 8th which is possible uh, maybe but I think um Keep his team together, get the mentality right, get the attitudes, go in the right direction, go to the dressing room, see what he's doing, 
uh, and see the positive side that Chelsea had because they don't look like they're enjoying themselves at the minute. Early on in the season, it looked like a group of kids, young lads, who were loving playing the Premier League every week and they looked like a good, fun team to play for, which we've not seen at Chelsea for a long time. But now there are those nerves setting in, a couple of wobbles, and when they go ahead, they don't look scary. They look like a team that they could throw it away. Pete, do Bournemouth have grounds to be a bit annoyed about this, considering how late they conceded? They played really well, got themselves back in the game. Uh, Josh King getting a really important goal. Nice to see him uh, hitting the back of the net again. This doesn't really do anything for their picture in terms of moving away from relegation. It obviously underpins the excellent home form they've had. They're unbeaten in five in the league at the Vitality. But Eddie Howe said after the game that they do have a right to be frustrated. They shouldn't be just grateful that Chelsea are coming to play them. They were excellent. They did everything right. And then just a little bit of concentration at the end. Do you think this is going to have a positive effect on them? Or or do you think it could could be a bit of a source of frustration when they're thinking, listen lads, nothing's going our way and we need something to go our way if we're to drag ourselves out of relegation. If you're going to drag yourself out of relegation, you've got to hold on to leagues when you're going into the last five minutes. And it wasn't like Chelsea created like with, with that like slick football or anything like that to unlock them. It was just basic stuff. that, And they, and they also they could have lost it at the end as well. Alonso really probably should have got a hat-trick right at the end. Uh, and he just coasted into the box unmarked in the last minute. And when you're down there, you can't you can't leave play, you can't leave Premier League players unmarked in the, in the box in the last minute when you're desperate for the points and look at the fixtures that they've got coming up they've got Liverpool Liverpool next they've got um, a trip to Wolves a trip to Old Trafford Tottenham Leicester still to play City after that Everton on last game of the season they've got some really really tough games so when you're 2-1 up at home five minutes to go Parked the bus and they didn't. They didn't have it. It was simple of the fact that they didn't have enough bodies in the box to defend a cross, which is at that end of the table is just criminal. When you look at the, as you say, the run of games that they've got, they, they probably have got enough to dig themselves out of it. But there's that part of the table is so 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 congested at the minute that it's very difficult to see which way it's going to go. Someone down in the mix of it that did get a brilliant result yesterday was West Ham. Uh, the boss Jim will be absolutely chuffed. Three one at home to Southampton. But again, Jay, we're seeing the Jekyll and Hyde with West Ham. I, I don't think West Ham fans are saying, why can't we play like this every week? They realise the limitations they've got. But if they could play like this every three weeks, if they could put in this sort of a performance at least a couple of times a month where they'd have enough points to get themselves out of the relegation zone and push on up into mid-table, I think fans would be relatively happy. What we saw from them yesterday was them at their best, Antonio causing problems, Haller being a really, really good target man, letting everyone play off him. Fornals, who's not really played a lot this season, coming into the team, Thomas Suchek, who got injured at, at Liverpool, missing out. And he, he was pulling the strings, Mark Noble, Declan Rice a bit deeper. This is West Ham, this is what West Ham can do. Why can't they do it more often? I don't know, it always seems like a bit of an un, unhappy camp. West Ham, I don't know, I know they've sort of they changed managers. David Moyes coming back there probably didn't excite everyone, although he's sort of like, you know, he got them out of trouble before and it was mm. a solid-ish appointment. It's not exactly the one where, you you know, you're sort of jumping up, punching the air because David Moyes has come back to your club. So that... that <laughs> didn't you do help. that when he got announced as United manager? Yeah, and, and every day since I've done it, <laughs> yeah, thanks to his tenure. The chosen United. one. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we were talking we, on Friday, we were sort of previewing this game, looking at the, the misfiring forwards and how someone like Southampton has Danny Ings, who you can line for a goal, while West Ham rely on Antonio Haller, who you mentioned. Um, they're not reliable, the, the sort of, the very inconsistent, and that doesn't help you. But when they are firing on all cylinders, when the team does gel like it did on Saturday, then they are capable of getting results. It's just getting that consistency. And I don't know, just getting a bit of 
for want of a better word, a bit of joy around the place. It's just there's stuff going on off the pitch. The fans are kicking off. The, the, they're not happy with the owners. The managers are sort of you know he's only in for a brief time, and he doesn't. He always looks like he's on death's door. The players aren't happy. It just looks like the worst <laughs> place to be ever. They're not happy about the stadium. It's just there's no there's no sort of light at the end of the tunnel almost. But the, the, the 11 players they've got are decent and they're probably they have got a better starting 11 than some of the teams around them so if everyone's fit if they can get some sort of consistency I think they've got enough quality to stay out of the bottom three but it's going to be close I think that West Ham well they, we know they're not out of the, out of trouble no not yet. at all um, and I don't think any West Ham fan will think they are but if they can build on this, then they have got the place to do it. When I look around them, I look at, you know, who's got the better team out of West Ham and Brighton, for example. I'd probably argue West Ham actually have the better team. And in, you know, they've got a one or two players who are sort of, will be looked at by other clubs. I don't know if Brighton necessarily have that. So it's it's something to build on. The only sort of bad thing for West Ham is they've gone and got a good result and Watford have gone and got a better one. So it almost negates it. I think they're just fortunate that Bournemouth didn't see it out against Chelsea because then it would have been like, you know, that win against Southampton has done really nothing for him. It's almost identical situation for Southampton in terms of this inconsistency. They'll have been really pleased last weekend, 2-0 at home to Aston Villa, putting a bit of a, a nail in Villa's potential relegation coffin and moving themselves away. If they had won, that would move them up to 37 and you'd say they're pretty much safe then, almost at the, the magic 40-point mark. But now it's, it's groundhog day for Haas and Huttle. What they're doing well, when it comes off, they get points they do struggle to kind of get into games and I think that's what went against them against West Ham because West Ham started so quickly set the stall out and, and Southampton couldn't really react do you think they're going to get sucked back into this or do you think there's there's a little there's a little gap of points at the minute 14th place Newcastle on 32 and 15th place Brighton on 28 now yeah that is only four points but if we're looking for teams pulling in opposite directions do you think Southampton have done enough already yeah, there's, there's there's certainly three worst teams, um, and they've got Newcastle at home next, and then Norwich after that. Four points from that, and then they're, they're pretty much safe. So um, they've done the hard work, and all credit to Hassan Hootle for, for for orchestrating that. And yeah, they they they're very much. Alex used the cliche before, but uh, I'll get in the basket with him, and uh, and it's <laughs> very much too good to go down. So they uh, they have a very very good squad. And they'll pick up again, and they've got plenty of winnable games before the end of the season. So yeah, they'll be they'll be more than fine. Uh, someone else in a similar bracket of that they should be okay is Crystal Palace. Now I've saved these two games as a bit of a treat for you for you all to the uh, end of the show. Crystal Palace one nil away at Brighton. Uh, this game was really 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 poor. Jordan Ayew's goal was the only chance of note, um, but Palace just have enough. They always seem to have enough. We, we chatted about this on Friday. Really really well organised. Zaha generally is the biggest threat but if he's not there Ayu will get you the odd goal Some, one of the defenders will score from a set piece that win moves them up onto 36 as uh, Pete said before when we're looking at the maths of it they're probably safe as well but Brighton will be looking at this and going this was a rival a really really poor rival in terms of a goal scoring threat we've got better forward players why can't we make it count when we need to against these teams well yeah I mean Fair play to Roy. I mean, Palace is safe and he's done a good job there once again. But yeah, is, is it, I, it's probably a case. Is this the worst derby in Premier League history? It's the most ridiculous derby well, yeah, in we, terms we, of a derby. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's the M20, M23, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a derby. Crystal Palace take it quite seriously because nobody else in London cares about them. Well, Sorry, they let off Crystal a smoke bomb, didn't they? That sounds yeah. serious. There was, there was some real aggro <laughs> outside the ground. And also, like, has any Brighton fan ever been arrested? Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I, yeah. No disrespect to any club. And every, every, 
every every fan is overdosing just in general right I mean if you I mean mate I can google the criminal records bureau they made a film about West Ham fans they'll never ever ever be a fan about Brighton hooliganism you know what I mean like I do think it's one of those that Sky really try and hype it up but look it means a lot to the fans that go Palace grind out the result sometimes these games they get ugly they're not ones to watch for neutrals but Wait, when you're in a relegation scrap, which both teams sort of are, um, you have to get those results and you have to win ugly. Uh, for Palace, the, I mean, if, yeah, when Zahar's out or he's not performing, it's players like Ayu and Benteki that haven't been doing it to Premier League standard for a while. They went out and got Cenk Tosin, a player that was really struggling at Everton to produce the goods. And on paper, he's got a good record in Europe, but uh, I, that, he's not the sort of player you think, oh, he's going to go and get you 10, 15 goals a season at the minute. Maybe that will change. And then you look at Brighton and you think like, how, how old How old is Glenn Murray? I mean, he must be in... 67, some, I think. Oh, mate. He's like, I'm sure he was born 32 and I feel like he's been 32 for about 10 years. And, you know, there's got to be a time at Brighton where they've been around the Premier League long enough. There must be enough TV <laughs> money to get to coming in season after season that they've got to take a risk. I'm not going to use the expression eggs in a basket again on this show. <laughs> but there's got to Keep be a certain point yourself. where they go and go, like, let's go get a decent Premier League striker. Because there's no one at Brighton of note that you think he's going to get you a goal. He's the danger man. He's, he's the one you can really rely on. And in games like this, you do need those sort of players because they make the difference. That was that was a big difference. Sorry, Pete. I watched this game and, mm. you know, Sully Marks had a golden opportunity. And they got people like Moy who just kept shooting from distance. Yeah. And I don't know why, because he, he wasn't getting anywhere. Mm. And you just think that, you know, they created a lot of chances, but they didn't have that quality, as, as Alex was saying, to finish it off. Uh, whereas Palace, A, I think he's got, you know, he's not prolific, but I think he's got seven goals or something this season. Yeah. Zaha was, even when he's not on form, and he's, I think he's only got three goals this season, is still a threat. But you look at Brighton and you just think, I don't know where the goals are coming from. Glenn Murray got a lot of goals last season. This season he's got hardly any, and obviously he doesn't start for him anymore. So it is a struggle, and I think that Brighton, they have the touch of the Norwiches about them. They play nice football. Graham Potter's quite a likeable guy. Mm. You know, that you can but admire. That doesn't win your games or no, keep it doesn't. In the you League. can admire them, but just from a neutral point of view of watching I was getting frustrated because you just think there's just the, the lack of quality in that final third is really telling and I think like Alex said maybe they needed to take a chance and buy a striker because I think they're in all sorts of trouble because if you're creating chance after chance like that and you don't even really look like scoring to be honest with you it wasn't even like the goalkeeper had a great game they didn't look like scoring and also their goalkeeper let them down as well which yep. <laughs> that's when you got real problems when it's not going at either end of the pitch so yeah I think Brighton could be in all sorts of trouble I think you know Graham Potter like I say is a progressive manager but it's sort of like the reverse of West Ham everything's still of, uh, uh, Brighton there is this feel good factor and you like the way they play but have they got the quality those 11 players are they good enough whereas West Ham you think they've got quality but they're not gelling but Brighton I just don't know if they've got enough quality there to keep them up I'd be really worried if I was a Brighton fan so from a cracker at the Amex to an absolute belter at St James's Park, final game of the weekend, Newcastle nil, Burnley nil. This was also pretty, pretty dreadful. I um, have a theory this game wasn't actually played. I genuinely think <laughs> that Newcastle called up at Burnley and went, it's cold and wet and windy out there, should we just call it a draw? <laughs> it was, on Monday. Is this the one I said, are you making these up? Because <laughs> every game you started talking about on Friday, it seemed like you just made it up and you were like, oh yeah, I've got uh, I know there's another one for you. Uh, Newcastle, Burnley. I was like, what? Uh, Steve Bruce, uh, he's got so many injuries to deal with at the minute. He made six changes uh, to his lineup 
he'll definitely be the happier of the two managers here. They've got a point against a Burnley side that are you know potentially in that conversation for a top seven finish. Gets them a little bit closer to where they want to be, which is staying in the Premier League. Burnley might be a little bit miffed because a win would have put them on you know the magic number forty, but they really really struggled to break Newcastle down. Now we've talked about players in the final third for teams in mid-table or or in the bottom half of the table and, and how crucial they are. Chris Wood came back into the team, he came off the bench. Alan Sapp-Maximin came on for, I think, about the last 15-20 minutes. It really does demonstrate how limited these sides are when you take one player out of it. And even Burnley, who are all about the system, and whether it's Ward or whether it's Barnes or Matteo Vidra or, or even Jay Rodriguez, they do still tend to play the same way. Burnley, I think we can all agree, are absolutely safe. Do you think there's any sort of concerns for Newcastle the injuries are piling up and they don't seem to be able to find any sort of spark they can't score that's the, that's the, that's well, the yeah, issue I was trying they're to be nice about yeah. it the, the problem with Newcastle is they can't score they've, 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 they've drawn with Norwich at home 0-0 and Burnley I, I, I disagree in the fact that at home against Burnley you, you, you'd expect to win you know regardless of their injuries you still had Almiron playing you still had £40 million Joel Linton playing on, you know, I think he was out on left wing which I don't think worked uh, too well Um he doesn't know what he's doing. No, like, he no. really doesn't know. He doesn't know where he's going to be playing. But uh, there's, there's still, if if and they created plenty of chances. Um, but they just the the finishing was absolutely woeful. Like they had they they did get into some good areas. Almiron was was floating around in number ten and creating plenty of chances. But in the final third, I mean, at the end they had you know they had two on one at the end, and and the, the guy going through on goal was Matt Ritchie, and you're like, oh. you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're a Newcastle fan, you're like, oh god, you know, two on one, Shelby's playing a nice ball through, and on the end of it is Matt Ritchie. You're like what what what's going on here? I'd be worried. Yeah, I I, I thought they'd go down at the start of the season. Um, and they had that really good. They had that really good start to the season. Well, that's, that's the thing as well. It is I mean, credit to Steve Bruce when that appointment came through. Who thought Steve Bruce would still be Newcastle manager by March second? Mm. I mean, they are five points clear of the relegation zone. It's not New, much. New, that, Newcastle will be one of the deciding factors in who stays up and who goes down this year. Uh, they play in their remaining games. They play Southampton away. They play Villa at home. Uh, they play West Ham at home. They play Bournemouth away. Uh, they play Watford away. They basically play all the teams and Brighton away as well. They play all the teams that are blown uh, mm. apart from Norwich. So if you get a result against Newcastle or they beat you, mm. it will probably decide which of those sort of five or six teams go down. Um, and also you said about Burnley staying up. Burnley are chasing Champions League. Sean Dyche, there, was, there were Burnley fans at the start of the year saying they wanted a change, that he's done great to keep them in the league for so many seasons, but they want something more interesting. Um, assuming that Manchester City's ban is upheld and fifth place will get you... Uh, into the Champions League uh, Burnley are four points off fifth which is especially relevant is that they are the form team of the Premier League at the minute uh, after Liverpool lost yesterday uh, Burnley have the best record in the last six games of any team in the Premier League um, it, they're playing well they're finishing the season on a strong it is not unrealistic that we will see Burnley finish fifth or sixth this year imagine which, that imagine Sheffield United and Burnley in the Champions League yeah I know it's <laughs> Brexit Britain mate that's our contribution <laughs> to Europe now just going back to what, what Alex was saying about Steve Bruce it's funny because whenever I talk to Newcastle fans he doesn't seem to get any credit off them none I no. know they just don't seem to like him and it's weird because you think on paper he's a local guy he's gone back there he's working on a shoestring um, they, they look relatively comfortable in terms of the points tally but no he's not a sort of endeared himself to Newcastle fans and I do feel a little bit sorry for him I like Steve Bruce obviously for what he did at United but you know when you've got your £40 million which for them is obviously a record signing striker and he's he's scored one Premier League goal and that yeah. was what in August against Spurs 
I mean, you're in all sorts of trouble. Pizza, then you got you know Richie going through as you, yeah. as you as you hope. John Joe Selv is your top scorer. Yeah. I mean, that's just not good enough. And they've got to be careful because they've sort of managed to sort of stumble along Newcastle in many ways. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but goals from defenders, goals for like one-off goals from midfielders. And it's they've got mm. these one-nil wins by a late player. wins, yeah, well. late wins by a player getting his only goal that season. And a week later, someone else has done it. And you're like, crikey, it's mad and it shouldn't work, but it is. But you can't rely on no. defenders to get your goals at set piece. You can't rely on the midfielders to get your goals who aren't prolific. And when you've got Almiron, who broke his duck after about a year, who's only on like what four goals. Joel Linton's on one. There's it's all just not sort good. of alarm it, it bells ringing now. It feels like they're having to grind out every week. Yeah, and there's also there's no can't. like identity. There's you know, no like. You no said it then. Joel Linton didn't. He looked like he didn't know where he was playing. And there was obviously that famous meme of at the beginning of the scene of Steve Bruce trying to tell Amir where to go, and he just said, just go wherever. Mm. And it's just like there is that feeling that sometimes they are a bit lost up front. Yeah, but I think they're they're in that group of they've got enough in the bank already. And you know the old adage, I think it was Pete who said it a while ago of there's three worst teams. And have they got enough eggs in the basket though? I think the issue is have they got enough baskets in their eggs? That's that would probably be enough carabao thing. in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. We're going to call it a day because we're going to get sucked into a linguistic argument if we carry on like that. Egg. <laughs> this has been the Premier League review show with the Football Social Daily. Thanks to Jay, thanks to Pete, thanks Thank to you. Alex. As always, if you've liked the podcast today, just hit subscribe. You'll get a fresh one every single day. You can also leave us a review. We love to hear what you think about the show, and if you're lucky, you might get a little shout out. And also, if you want to keep up to date with your own team simply ask your alexa device to enable sports social follow the instructions pick your team and away you go and we'll see you very very soon football social daily with german gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.